It's that time again. It's Greek for the week. I'm Chris Palmer. Let's open our Bibles and get right down to the original language, the Greek. God bless you. It's the Greek for the Week podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are going to continue today talking about the churches of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3 of the Apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, Revelation, the Apocalypse, either or. It works for me. And if you haven't gotten your copy of Letters from Jesus, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and go to Amazon today. Pick it up. It'll be in bookstores near you very soon. But why wait? Why do you go, I go to the bookstore? You could just you just click it on Amazon. It'll show up at your door. Just like that, the guy will knock on your door and you'll go downstairs or walk to your front door and bam, there it will be. And you can start reading right then and there and get into what God, God's Word has to say. Now, these podcasts are just 12 to 15 minutes. And so it really is a mini, it's a mini, mini sermon. And uh, we can't get into everything, but we're going to touch on a few things that hopefully you'll enjoy and it'll bless your life and bring to you fruit that you can not just hear the Word, but you can do the Word. All right? Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. I'm going to read this. We're in church number 3 today, the church of Pergamum. Uh, it says here, And the, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to get into that in just a second, but let me finish reading. It says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Wow. Talk about talk about an interesting place to be, right? Where Satan's throne is at. It says, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. But also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. There's a lot to say here, but let's talk about Revelation uh, 2 and verse 12, where Jesus says here, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, this is an extremely important verse in the Greek, and I'm going to read it to you in the Greek because this is Greek for the week, and we can practice our Greek. It says, Kai to Anglotes and Pergamo, Ecclesias Graphon, Tarelii, O Exon, Te, Ramphorion, Te, Diotoman, Tain, Axean. Now, this word here, sword, is interesting because, you know, Jesus is talking about a sword. It's just, it, He's pulling out a sword, and swords are, well, they're intimidating things. If you've ever held a sword, they can be quite intimidating. Now, before we understand why Jesus would pull out a sword, because, you know, we're so, we're so we have this picture of Jesus, the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. We have a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see him walking up and down the streets of Galilee, healing people, praying for the sick, ministering to tax collectors, telling Zacchaeus, come down, I'm coming to your house today. We have this merciful, wonderful Jesus. And then we, we kind of see a different picture in Revelation chapter 2. The Lamb of God now comes back with the sword of his mouth, and he means business. So, there are radical grace teachers that really try to do their best to explain this, and, and, and they can't get around it. Jesus is not happy here, and he's being, he's sending a very strong warning to this church that 
he wants to make sure that they listen to because he's serious. And he's telling them that, well, we'll see what he's telling them in just a second. Before that, let me give you a little bit about Pergamum. Pergamum was the center. It was the center of Caesar worship and as well as the worship of, now, I might get this wrong with my English tongue, Asclepios was the god of, the Greek god of healing at the time, Greco-Roman god of healing at the time. Now, you see Asclepios when you look at the symbol for medicine uh, here in the United States, where I live, you see the little snake going up, the little serpent going up the cross. Well, that is from this imagery that was the symbol of the god of Asclepios. And so you see that it was a very pagan culture, like all the cities, but they had different gods that they worship. And in Pergamum, it was the center of culture. Now, they had what was the second greatest library in the whole entire world, okay? Alexandria was the greatest. Second was Pergamum. If you go there today, you'll see all of the ruins that they have, and you can see remains of that library that exists there. So you have healing and medicine that they specialized in. They worshiped the God of healing there. And you also have a great library that has all the archives of history. You know, it'd be really interesting to find out what they had in that library, but it was destroyed. We don't know, but they, they were smart people. And it also had a variety of worship and philosophy. So picture this today, healing, history, and philosophy and uh, center of worship. So you have a really diverse place where there's a lot of culture and intellectual things going on at that time. I would compare it today to, in my country, to be like a Boston or a New York City, uh, a place of higher learning and higher education, uh, maybe like a London maybe like in Oxford, someplace that there is a lot of intelligence and a lot of cerebral cranial understanding. And anytime you have a place that puts an emphasis on these things, you have people that are proud and you have people that are puffed up and you have people that are right in their own eyes because they have studied and they have learned and we have our faith in healing and we have uh, in medicine and we have our faith in in natural things, and we don't really have a place for the God of the Christians. And that would have made it difficult for Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity can exist in places like this, but I will tell you from personal experience, having preached in cities like this, it is, it is a lot easier to preach in the Bible Belt here in America, which is down south, in your Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and Georgia, Texas, a lot easier to preach there than it is to preach in Boston. I've preached in Boston before, and the church is a lot smaller there in Boston than you have down in the Bible Belt because of this very thing right here is an emphasis on the intellectual, is an emphasis on, on uh, naturalism, what you were finding in Pergamos. And, you know, it, it was like that today in Pergamum. It's like that today in America, that when you have a cerebralness and an emphasis on natural things, People sometimes, well, very oftentimes, have contempt for Christianity. Now, we see that in society today. You, you go to major cities today in society that have gone extremely left, that have become extremely liberal, that have put their faith in science and have taken their faith out of God, and they really want to do uh, a number on Christianity. And with the ad adaptation of science as your God, you begin to wear away at morality coming from someone who is a moral superior like God. That's where we believe morality comes from. We, it's the moral argument 
okay, that we make as Christians, the moral argument for God, where does morals come from if there's not someone that, that, that uh, has given us morality? And so you see culture begins to wear away, wear thin, and becomes more lasciviousness, uh, lascivious and becomes more sensual. That's what was going on in Pergamum. But Jesus wants to reassure the church here in Pergamum. Now, he mentions the Nicolaitans later. Nicolaitans were started by Nicholas. Revelation chapter 6, or excuse me, uh, Acts chapter 6, you see Nicholas was sent out. He was a minister, but then later on he got involved in sensuality. Put a post up on this on Facebook the other day. And he was the one that started the cult, or, or the sect of the Nicolaitans, probably was the cult, probably fit that description. And they were about loose living and sensuality, and they figured they were improving Christianity with its liberations that they made, but they were actually deviating from Christianity because you can't live an unholy life consistently and be Christian. I'm not saying you can't, there's times you mess up and you go to God for repentance. I don't mean that. I don't mean I mean an unrepentant heart and acceptance and making an exception for loose living, and that, that Christianity calls for that. That's the change of attitude that he had, and he was living that way. And, and he was allowing this culture, this sensual culture, okay, <clears throat> the Pergamum Christians were allowing for this, this Nicolaitan doctrine was, was the result of their merging with this, this sensuality in Pergamum. That's what they had. And Jesus was saying, you cannot allow the culture to dictate to you what is acceptable? You have to follow my word. And Jesus says here that he is coming with the sword of his mouth. Now, this word in the Greek, rompia, is referring to a very sharp sword that was perfect for slashing, double-edged on both sides, very violent weapon. It was the weapon of choice for killing back in Greco-Roman days. If you had a rompia in your hand, you were going to war and you were trying to kill as many people as possible. This is a sword that Jesus has coming out of his mouth. Now, it's not a literal sword. He's referring to his mouth. It's metaphors, figures, speech for what his mouth was like. His mouth was a sword of judgment. And it's interesting because in Pergamum, the governors there <clears throat> used the sword for capital punishment. And because they used that, they would say they had the right of the sword. If there was a case that was brought before the governors and they decided that this person was worthy of punishment, they would use the right of the sword, which meant simply that they had the last word on the matter. And what Jesus was saying when he says he's coming with the sword of his mouth, that in light of everything that culture is saying, when it comes to morality and it becomes what's right and what's wrong, some say this is right, some say this is wrong, some say this is acceptable, some say this is acceptable, some say we should tolerate this and we shouldn't tolerate that. And it goes on and on and on. Jesus was saying at the end of the day, I'm going to get the last word about what is right and about what is wrong because I am the highest moral supreme. Morality came from me and I am the creator and I decide what is orderly in my universe. I decide what is orderly in my society. It's going to be my society because I'm the one that created it and I'm deciding what is right and what's wrong. And at the end of the day, when all of the archives are done talking, when all the philosophers are done talking, Jesus is going to step up and he's going to use the right of sword and get the last word on what is right and what is wrong. And in light of that, he was telling the Pergamum people to get in line with what he has to say. Get in line as to what he believes is moral versus what culture says is moral. And that leaves us a challenge today. Are we going to side with God? Or are we going to side with what the world says? Are we going to make exceptions to our, to our faith 
and what the Word of God says because it's becoming popular in society? Or are we going to stand with the Lord and say that that has no place as being considered moral and acceptable as a Christian because it's not acceptable under God's rule? That's what we have to decide today, and that's what God was telling the church in Pergamon. He was telling them to get it right, and he was using the right of his sword. Jesus is going to get the last word. So at the end of the day, when the pundits stop talking, when the talking heads stop talking, when the politicians and when the protesters uh, when the, and the activists, they all stop talking, Jesus is going to step up, and he's going to give the last word. And my friend, let's make a decision to be on the right side of that today. Amen? All right. Well, that's your word for today. That's Greek for the week. We love you. We keep it short here. Um, remember, get the book, Letters from Jesus. It will be a blessing to your life. I pray as you read it, the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit will quicken your heart, that He would make alive everything that God has placed inside of you, and that you would come to a deeper understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, His holiness, His power, His authority, His rule, His reign, and the love He has for you and for those who are lost. Okay, God bless you. We'll talk to you again. Check out Amazon and pick up your book today. See you next time on Greek for the Week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us further, you may visit us on the web at lightoftoday.org. God bless and good studying.